is a public AMA event. We haven't done one of these in quite some time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I want to remind you that derivatives trading is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. Please take a moment to um, punch in your question, if you have one, into the YouTube uh, live chat panel. Or you can also, um, well, let's just leave it here and then Landau will feed those to me as they come along. Uh, we've taken the ones that are pre-submitted and we've made those the priority uh, questions and uh, we've put them on these slides. But before we get going here, I want to make sure that you take the time to hit the subscribe and thumbs up button if you have not subscribed to the um, Conversion Trading YouTube channel. Um, please do hit the thumbs up for us. Really appreciate that. So first question, here we go. Initial balance is the topic. And the question is today on the trader bite. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, today on the trader bite, uh, you mentioned yesterday's IB was well-formed. Could you elaborate on what makes it a badly or well-formed IB. First of all, the IB is the initial balance. It's the, I talked about this today, uh, the 13th of July in a trader bite, and we discussed it a little bit. I'll show you uh, what this looks like. An initial balance that is well formed. Let's go to yesterday's. Let's turn this off. Let's go to yesterday's. So when an initial balance is well formed, so yesterday's, you know, we we swung up, down, and across, and so on and so forth, and poked. And you have what this is. You see the low here. This is an example of a um, of an initial balance low that is well formed. This means that hmm, I don't have a way to I don't have Epic Pen on here to draw on here, but uh what what this means is that uh we have a, a very clear market structure low to trade off of and uh the market has moved away clearly the auction has stopped at the initial bounce low yesterday 450675 and it migrated to the other side and then it it formed the top here well it formed it right here quick double top and pulled back a little bit the top of the initial balance however is not so great there are days where we have this is a beautifully done initial balance high initial balance low this is a very clear auction that ended right at the boundaries of the first hour remember the initial balance is controlled by time is controlled by time and what happens is when we create an initial balance that looks like this, that, you know, where, where we see price rejection very clearly, we see price rejection down here very clearly. On a revisit, I ex I'm going to monitor that initial balance throughout the session. Initially, it didn't really provide much. I mean, there was quite a bit here at 65. This was one of the key levels, still is. Um, it rejected that and fell back in. But very often, uh, and there you know, I can't think of immediate examples, but things like this, you know, this is an initial balance that was created early on 
and then poked later. This is not a great initial balance here because it was formed on a push down and then we spent the entire first hour at the top of the, the range and then the initial balance was formed. Remember, my time is Chicago time, so it was formed at 9.30. So the initial balance high is legit here. The initial balance low is not. So it's not all formed the same way. We want to see failure of the auction on both sides. Same thing here. Initial balance low formed immediately, which is not a great initial balance. We didn't have like a low that rejected and that gives us a nice initial balance. We had an initial balance high forming uh, very well, held a little bit over here and so on and so forth. So this is something you kind of have to toy with another day initial balance. So what's happening with the market here is it very often opens in the RTH and it just runs away. Um, and, and as a result, it doesn't give us a clean high and low. It doesn't give us a clean high and low in the initial balance and it doesn't do so in, um, in the opening swing either. So you see that here again, open, touch, run. This is not a good initial balance low, not a good initial balance high. You see how the market never moved away from it? So the initial balance this day is worthless to me. Um, same thing here. This is somewhat decent right here. Pulls back, finds a low, pushes away, finds a high, pushes back. But More, we lost audio here. Something with your fancy new mic here is uh, going wrong. Sorry about that, guys. Give us one second. I should be back. Yep, he's back now. All yeah, right, sounds good. That mic. No, for a $250 mic, it really doesn't do a very good job. It's probably something else, but cool. Where did you lose me? Do you remember? Um. Not sure. You you scrolled on the chart a little bit to the left. So if you just backpedal. Okay. So I just want to say I'm looking for a market structure low, which is a five bar low. So you have a low. So you have a, a low, a low, then, then what's called a pivot bar, then a, 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 another set of two bars that form a very clear market structure low, market structure high. That's what I'm looking for in, in that IB. So hopefully that, that that gives you an idea of what it means. Like if an initial balance, let's imagine we have a trend day. Um, if we have a trend day, the market opens and just runs off. We had one, uh, let's see, a, a few Fridays ago where the market opens just ripped up. What happens is, you know, the the initial balance so I'm, I'm looking for one where the initial balance was formed while the market was still trending and what happens is the initial balance of oh, i don't have enough tick data to go that that far back but with the what happens with the initial balance is like this the computer just says hey time has run out for that you know first hour so i'm just going to start drawing a line here and i want to caution you as a trader from thinking or trading that way that you see something on the screen and automatically because there's a line 
and the market's coming to it, therefore I'm gonna do something. You need to really pay attention to how things are forming on your screen. It's a very fine point to make, but it's a really important one in that, you know, not all things, you know, the open, for example, might be a very important reference on a day, but a really terrible one on other days. The same with the mid, uh, the midpoint of the day might be an excellent spot to keep trading pullbacks, VWAP, same thing. They're not always the same, and that's the tricky part of this. Uh, so hopefully I, I've clarified that uh, that quite a bit with a lot of detail. Uh, we went over what the IB is, why it's, why it's significant is not something that I covered. The reason the IB is significant for those of you who don't usually use it is uh, even if you pull up a volume chart, like pull up a, an hourly chart with a volume histogram at the bottom, you'll see that a huge part of the day's business is done in that first hour. And that's the premise behind that. Um, so that, you know, we always track the initial balance. And the initial balance is the first hour of the main session. So if, if you're trading crude, the initial balance is not the same as it is for the NQ, ES, RTY, YM. Uh, because the crude session, the pit session starts at 8 central, 9 eastern. And so your IB in crude is from 9 eastern to 10 eastern. The initial balance for the ES would be 9.30 to 10. Uh, and we expect a lot of the, 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 you know, the big work that needs to be done by higher time frames to be done with that, within that initial balance. Okay. So that's that. Landau, feel free to interrupt me if I didn't address something clearly or if I cre have created questions as a result of my answer. All right. Yep, will do. So here we go. This question here is about session times. Once RTH opens, is it required to switch to RTH or is it just still better to trade levels on ETH chart? Uh, this is by AshFX17 on Twitter. Uh, a, a side note, if you see someone's name on here, uh, based on the reason I left the names in with the questions, which is not something we usually do, the reason I left it on here is because it's not really personally identifying information. But if somebody asks a question that you want to have a discussion about, when you see an ad, it's coming from Twitter. And you can, through your own Twitter account, you can just, you know, start a tweet with that name at ashfx 17 and maybe provide more color or say, hey, I'm looking at the same thing or what are you trading or whatever. Because at the end of the day, convergent trading is to connect traders together. It's, a, it's an important value that we have. So again, once RTH opens, is it required to switch to RTH or is it still better to trade levels on ETH chart? So for me personally, the overnight trade or the extended trading hours, ETH, RTH, is regular trading hours. That means that this is the main session for the product. So for the ES, it's when the stock market is open because the ES is made up of 502 stocks, the NASDAQ made up of 100, and so on and so forth. When the underlying stocks are trading, that's considered the main session. When the underlying stocks don't trade, that's considered extended and that exists in both futures and many large 
stocks. So that's RTH versus ETH. Should I use ETH sessions into RTH? The answer to that is if there's something that happened overnight that was significant in ETH, uh, you know, before the open, then yes. But in general, I've, I find that although the significance of the overnight session has become more and more and more um, as time has gone on, because the world, you know, the globe is becoming uh, interconnected more and more economically, uh, in general, once your initial balance is in, I don't really care about what happened in the overnight session unless the overnight stat has not been taken. Right. If there's a significant stat that was formed in the overnight that is still in play, then I'm paying attention to what's happening to it during um, during the RTH session. Uh, but in general, if that's not the case, whenever the, the RTH session starts, your you know full session VWAP moves dramatically uh, differently than in the overnight session because of the influx of volume. Uh, and after the first hour, really, I'm just focused on the current condition. So if you look at this chart here that I'm monitoring all day, it really is just focused on RTH. This is the RTH market profile for the ES. Here's my intraday. I'm just looking at what's going on intra-session. You know, I don't, I'm not really trying to keep up with what happened since yesterday's settlement of 450 all the way through same with the nq keep it on rth only because i'm trying not to process too much information as i'm going along the the circumstance under which i would continue to pay attention is if we have again like we had back here a couple of days ago um this this gap here or this jump that occurred within the RT, uh, the uh, overnight session is still important for me because I know it started right here at 44.86 or so. And so I'm monitoring that, you know, if we give up the day levels, see how it held the, um, the mid here at 97, there was a level behind at 95.50 for that day on this big gap up. If we give that up, then I'm, my next reference or template that I'm gonna use for my information is going to be the ETH information that's present. Once we push through into the prior RTH, then the prior RTH takes precedence. So again, I would love to be able to say, oh, it's always this, or it's always that. Uh, but if I do that, I, I can assure you that all I'm going to do is really rob you of the ability to think through the, the different scenarios and conditions under which we trade. The next question is relating to chart types. Um, I have been using a PNF chart. A PNF chart is a point and figure chart. It's just a chart type. I would love to see a quick explanation of how FT uses these. Is it his primary entry chart? So the, the reason I use point and figure, but also currently I'm using Renko, and I'll explain that separately. Point and figure charts are X's and O's. Um, the market has to use move a certain number of boxes 
in order to uh, reverse, to create a reversal. It's time independent. Most of my charts are time independent. The ones that are not are my intraday chart and my TPO chart. Those are all, those are both based on half hour. And those are the two charts that I form my bias in. So generally I'm watching this TPO chart like this, very blown up to the side. It tells me how the auction's going. I'm often flipping back and forth to see that most of today's session was best spent in balance. Look at this block. It's like Tetris, right? Just a big block of stuff. And then we finally in F period push through. And so now I'm, you know, I'm going to lean on the long side unless we fall back in. So this is a TPO chart that's based on 30 minute profiles. If I want to see farther back because I'm so zoomed in, I'm looking at my intraday chart right here. And you can see again, this bar is inside of this bar, that bar is inside of that bar, then this bar poked and fell through, this bar is inside of this bar, basically kind of pushed a little bit. And now we've kind of broken out to the top side in a what is a gap and go day. This kind of informs me in general what things are doing. When I go down to my trigger chart, which currently is a four tick Renko, and I'll go down even to a one tick Renko, I'll switch to a one tick Renko if I need to see, you know, little microstructure, little um, nuances within the auction to, to try to locate a trade a little bit better, I'll switch to a one tick Renko. But I'll jump in and out of, you know, I the reason I switched from PNF to Renko is when there's higher volatility and higher ranges, the PNF chart keeps things really clean. And these charts, both Renko and PNF, on my trigger chart or my active trading chart, are completely independent of time. And because I don't want to see a two minute bar form when the market hasn't done anything, that's useless information to me because I don't trade time. I don't make money by the change of time. I make money, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I make money by a change in price. So I'm more interested in plotting the change of price versus just time passing. And so the reason back to the point and figure chart versus Renko is point and figure is really great when you have a lot of volatility. So when we were, in a wider expansion of range since, I don't know, 20, uh, 2020 or so, uh, you know, I, I was doing, I was, I was looking at PNF because it's easy for me to just crunch it and still get the same information. But as the volatility has dropped over, I think, February, March of this year, uh, I moved back to Renko. Renko is what I've used for years before that. Um, and, and so I can see things like zippers more easily. Let's look at a PNF chart real quick. I know I don't want to draw these questions out too long, but generally for the ES, I use a one by eight PNF. And let's look at what that looks like versus a Renko, which looks like it's trending. So look at look at what a PNF chart looks like. You see how it shows you where the, the market's clustering versus trending. So right here. 
as long as the market, so this was the big move down yesterday from uh, 45.16 or so right here. So you can see that as long as it doesn't uh, reverse by more than eight ticks because it's set to one tick by eight, it continues as a single bar. So I can see imbalance, balance, slight imbalance, but very, very choppy. Oop, very strong balance, very nice zipper, and then drop, little zipper, drop again, reverse, zipper, and so on and so forth, close right here. Um, so you can see very clearly where balance and imbalance are, right, on a PNF. The problem is that when you have, you know, days that range in the 20 to 25 points, this looks messy. Look at how messy this looks versus a Renko chart. And so that's what's forced the change. You know, Renko chart, I can see there's a bit of a trend forming within this cluster here. And I can see what the trend short term is doing. And I'm only using that when I'm trying to, when it's time for me to locate a trade uh, or, or get a trade location on an idea that I have or some structure that I have. Okay. So there's your detailed answer. Um, impulses and rotations, another question. What is the FD71 talks a lot about rotations, uh, but definition is still ambiguous to me as a software developer. I'd like to write some code to do this. I don't know where to start. Okay, I'll walk you through it. I don't want to bore everyone with the details here, the stats and all that. It's quite simple. When we're computing rotations, all we're doing, and you choose a time frame. I choose a one minute, which works fine for me. Um, and then I'm going to start the fractal indicator here. And then the, the, the fractal is made up. This is a four strength fractal, which means it has to be, it's, it, it creates a dot and gives you the price at the top of a bar that has two lower bars to the left and two lower bars to the right of it. That's what a, this is really a five bar fractal. It's the strength of it is four because it's two to the left, two to the right, right? But for our stats, we actually drop this to two or a three bar uh, fractal, right? So let's look at a three bar fractal. The next piece, if you're writing the code is now we've identified each top and bottom that has lower bars. So this is the highest bar, the bar after it's lower, the bar before it's lower. So we mark this. We connect these. We connect these or we do the subtraction and you can't have a high, then it sits and then an equal high again without a low. It needs to alternate. We connect these and we say, okay, this rotation on a one minute bar went from 45.36.50 to 45.33.50. That's a negative rotation. So we mark that as negative three points. Then it goes 33 and a half to 45.35. So that's plus one and a half points. And then here, negative one and a half points plus one and a quarter point, negative, blah, 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 blah. And then we have 
thousands of these. We do this over the RTH period, and we end up with these dots, these numbers, these rotations. Then we take those rotations, and I'll show you the rotation chart that I use to extract the statistic, and believe it or not, I used to do this in Excel. It was very painstaking, something I'd update every month. Now we do it using this chart here in Investor RT. And that's what it's doing. You know, it's using a three fractal bar at the top. It's a one minute bar chart. We're looking 20 sessions back and the bin for these profiles is one tick. And what it's doing is it's computing what these fractals are. So you can see that it moved up six and a quarter points. It marks a dot at six and a quarter points. Then we take, we count how many dots at each, um, at at each uh, price increment, and then we plot a histogram. So now you're pulling out your statistics book, your, your statistics 101 book, and we plot a histogram. Then we find the mode or the most common value, and then we compute the first standard deviation of the mode, okay? And there's a specific way. If you look at, uh, look at how to compute a value area on market profile, use that same process. And then we basically look to grab 68, the first standard deviation is 68.27% of the sample size around the mode. And then that gives us these numbers. So you could see the fractal for an up move, or the, uh, the, the value area for an up move is up to five and a quarter points. So that's our standard rotation, five and a quarter points up. We do the same thing for down moves. If you, if you want to, you can do them both together. It's a little more complicated. For a down move, the first standard deviation is four and a quarter points. So now we know that the harmonic rotation for the last 30 days using one minute bars on a market structure high and low built on a three bar fractal is up to five and a quarter. The most common rotation for this, and remember this is RTH only, this is constrained to RTH only. The most common rotation is 2.75 points. That's your most common rotation, but everything up to five and a quarter up and four and a quarter down is considered normal. That's how it's done. And I'm sure as a software guru, you can program that pretty easily. It's not, it's not too complicated, but it gives you a quantitative, that's what quants do, right? It gives you a quantitative measure based on some parameters that we've boxed in. It gives you a quantitative measure of what's happening. Uh, how can one get started in tracking them? That's basically what we went into. How, how can this, can this fit into an auto algo trader toolbox? You know, in case you want, because you're a software developer, maybe you're creating this as an indicator. If so, that's what we do. We call that a zigzag, by the way, the, the indicator that measures the extent of those swings up and down is what we call a zigzag indicator. Um, and then, you know, cause the market's just zigging and zagging, zigging and zagging all the time, <clears throat> no matter what fractal you're in, that's what it does. It rotates and rotates. But, you know, if you're looking to put that into an algo or an automated system, you can have that be something that you can trade. I've created a system in the past that trades off of that. Or 
you can use that to create parameters for controlling or managing a trade or controlling and managing entries. I'm letting you in on a lot of stuff here. Uh, but that's what, you know, rotations to me are very, very important uh, because they are like taking the heart rate of a patient. You know, it, it just tells you what, uh, what's going on. Can you share again another question about impulses and rotations? Can you share some guidelines or, or experiences to determine whether a move is impulsive? Does this move often determine the trend for the next few 30-minute bars or for the day? Okay, this is directly related to the prior question. Um, let's look at that chart again. So if one standard deviation in statistics, especially generally you get one standard deviation around the mean, which I don't agree with because the mean doesn't generally does not describe what's going on. So if you put a moving average on your chart, it generally doesn't, unless it's a balanced day, it generally doesn't coincide with the point of control, the most traded price. So everything I'm going to talk about is going to be statistical terms around the mode or the most traded price. Okay. If one standard deviation is what we consider normal. So you take a population of people and you measure some, uh, you take a measurement. I usually like to, as an example, I say shoe size, right? So you take uh, a large sample, 10,000 people, and then you plot, you have your intern go and measure their stinky feet and put it on a chart. Then you come up with a histogram then you find what the mode is, you know, the mode for men, men's size is nine and a half, 10, let's say US sizes, or what is that, 40, 41 European sizes or something? I don't remember, uh, it's been a while. Um, so that's the mode. Okay, now we know that we should get our factory somewhere to create a lot under the mode, because that's the most common shoe size. So that's the size that we need to stock the most. But not everybody's gonna be that shoe size. How many, how far should we go down in shoe sizes for men? And how many should we go up? Should we do, should we make a lot of um, size 17s or 15s? Uh, how, what, what number of the, how many of those can we sell so that we're efficient? And that's what what companies will do is they'll look at the first standard deviation, right? They'll cover the first standard deviation and they'll say the most common shoe size is nine and a half. But the normal size for men within our sample, not for men everywhere, but within our sample, the normal size is somewhere between seven and a half and 12. So now 68.27% of our volume that we produce has to encompass this. That's the standard first standard deviation. Then you go out to the second standard deviation, which covers 95.45% of the population. You say, okay, we'll create shoe sizes that are six to 14, but there's gonna be very, relative to the first standard deviation, we're only gonna produce maybe, um, you know, 5%. 5% of our entire volume of shoes that we produce is going to be within that range. And those are the sizes, 
things like that. This is how we apply it in the real world and trading is the real world. When is it an impulse? I define an impulse as the 90th percentile of this curve. So what I do is create a second value area, 90%, and then I can, I can figure out that actually what's normal is up to five points. What's common is 2.75 points, rotations in the ES. But what, where it starts to become unusual is anything above 7.75. I could go to two standard deviations, but two standard deviation or one standard, yeah, two standard deviation limit, but two standard deviations is 95.45% of all rotations. It's too much. So I chose the 90th percentile, which is a little over one and a half standard deviations. And so anything above eight points in the ES up, call it, call them the same. They're very similar eight points up, as soon as the market moves more than eight points directionally, I can say, I can identify those moves and I can go back in time and say, okay, once an impulse happens, what happens next? What goes on next? And what goes on next is more often than not, you have a continuation move. So this is one of the trade setups that I look for. Uh, let's look at that on a chart real quick. Uh, you know, Landau, please manage my pace, help me manage my pace if you don't mind. I might be getting into the weeds too much, but I want to make sure that you're well informed about how I'm looking at things. So let's go back to a two tick Renko. Two tick Renko can range from about a minute to four minutes or so on slow days. It hardly ever crosses 10 minutes or so. It's very variable. So I get I get everything in a very tight screen if there's very little movement or you know it starts to really expand if there's a lot of movement right so one minute or a, a four tick Renko or a three tick Renko same thing the stats aren't going to change dramatically we don't need precision in trading we just need confidence so all this quantitative stuff is really relying on confidence and so you can see this morning we had one early impulse. So the impulse limit 7.75 that I just mentioned up and 7.5 down. So you could see that here, the first rotation had a lot in it, right? It crossed above this yellow line. Hopefully you could see it clearly crossed above the yellow line and went all the way up to 10 points, 10 and a half points. So the move from 21 and a quarter all the way to 31 well, it actually ended right here to um, 31 and a quarter. So it's 10 points. That move, this move here, it breached the impulse limit. So the idea here is that I should be looking for pullbacks in the direction of this impulse. And if this impulse pullback exceeds 50% of this range of the impulse, then it cancels it out. As long as it holds 50%, I have a high probability outcome that it continues in that direction. How many people that I confuse by this? This is very detailed stuff. So that's what I look for in relation to your question. That's what I look for in terms of rotations as it relates to impulses and things like that. An impulse simply tells me that 
when the market's choppy, it's generally within the normal range, the normal standard deviation, in this case, five points or whatever it was, five and a quarter points. But if it breaks out and gets above 7.75 and prints eight points or better, that gets my attention. So I actually have alerts on my charts for when that happens. So if I'm looking away and an impulse happens, boom, I'm paying attention. It doesn't mean I have a trade, uh-uh, because the trade is not formed on an active uh, uh, a trigger chart or a Renko chart. The trade is formed on your TPO chart or composite chart or intraday chart. The, the, the trade idea is always based on the bigger time frame with a price map. And it, this just tells me that, okay, we're getting out of the slump. The first move of the day disqualify is always disqualified as an impulse. I don't trade the first impulse of the day because that's just the day beginning. Okay. That's a caveat. FD 71 often talks about impulses, which I take to mean quick movements of a certain size, possibly related to rotations. Well, there you go. I covered all this. Could you just explain them a bit more and the importance? How do you determine if the impulse is negated X seller, not there on retest? I think I answered all of these impulses are 90th percentile rotations you can do these in es and q crude dow russell dax bund whatever there's always a, uh, there's always the market's always rotating and you can always figure out what an impulse is versus what's normal so uh, uh, an analogy for this would be if um, if you're in a crowd of people and everybody, imagine you're in a train station and you're about to catch this train that leaves once a day, okay? And it's a big crowd, it's rush hour, and then ev everybody's kind of moving at a normal pace. So everything is normal. You're not stressed, your heart rate's normal. You're just trying to get to the train. Imagine while you're looking around, you know, just going about your day, all of a sudden the people in front of you start running. What are you going to do? Does that get your attention? So this is how impulses mean something. It doesn't mean they're, you know, do I know that they're running towards their train? Are they trying to catch the last few copies of the Wall Street Journal to read? Do they need the bathroom? Or is it actually, in fact, they're trying to catch the train because some schedule change has occurred? That's where an impulse is versus a standard rotation, a harmonic rotation. When an impulse happens, it gets my attention. It doesn't mean that I'm going to start running with the crowd, although if I don't run, I'll get trampled because we're all just you know, we have this uh, herd behavior, but um, this is the significance of what an impulse is versus standard rotations, okay? Timura, before well, we move I'm on from that topic, can we... Gears. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, before we move on that topic, can we uh, hit a quick question related to that? We have a couple of people asking about stop losses and they're saying, do you take into account rotations for your stop loss? And uh, if so, are you using the mode or the common rotation as your stop or the full harmonic rotation or are you setting stops related to uh, rotations? The stops, uh, stops are there. There's a video that I've done about risk management that's floating around 
actually I've done this like three or four times. Um, the stops are predicated on several inputs and those inputs include your account size, the value of the product, the tick value of the product, and, and um, in addition to the time frame, but and the rotation. So the rotations on a product uh, have a huge uh, uh, impact on your P&L, right? Uh, so the rotation and the value, the tick value of the product have a tremendous ro uh, impact on your P&L. And so I do use rotations for uh, set as an input into stops. And I, I try not to confuse things because in general, I try to keep stops steady. You know, if you look at my Edge Pro X here, uh, let's see. You'll see that, you know, there's an ES default. It's turned on when I when I slide up and down, you can see that the targets and all of that are programmed in there. So in general, they are fixed. However, depending on what trade I'm taking, and this is, you know, I'm just, I don't want to complicate things, but I just want to give you a full answer. The, that stop may vary and it may vary up to up to the full rotation value for that product, okay? Because sometimes certain setups need, so if I'm trying to catch, for example, if I'm trying to catch, the market's been sideways, we've got a point of control, uh, my inclination, you know, there are indications as, as we've had all day today that we're likely to break out to the upside. I, I pointed this out in the um, chat room at Convergent, the Mavens channel, saying gun to my head if i had to pick between long and short my inclination is long because we tested and rejected the prior day's range and yada 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 you know the open is below us and so on and so forth but let's say i'm seeing it coil and i want to get in before it breaks it's just failing to make lower lows and it's coiling and i'm looking to be a part of that break well, I can't come into the middle of the range at the point of control and hold a two-point stop. It's not, it's not conceivable. All I'm doing is just giving away my stop. It's too easy for the market to come and tag my stop, go back through, push higher, come back, and so on. So in that situation, I have to push my stop to a full rotation. And so it limits me as to where my entry has to be. I have to wait for a bit of a pullback. So I can locate my stop behind some structure um, to protect it. And if the structure doesn't protect it, you know, the market has to really push to get to my stop. What I don't want to do is use a point and a half stop and make it so easy for them to just touch my stop and turn and come back and turn. So, yes, uh, it is it is an input. Um, bup, bup, bup. So this has been answered. Um, just a quick segue you know there's a reason we do these um we do these um public events as convergent trading it's a, it's a membership based uh entity because it's although we focus a lot on the membership with uh, multiple webinars a week and uh, market stats reports a chat the included news feed and so on and so forth all these benefits we always want to go out and make it known. You know, we can't just live in our little cocoon with our members. 
So we do these events to kind of bring something to you and let you know what's going on and how we're seeing things and why it's different. And as a result, there's this deal that uh, Convergence promoting till the end of the month, which is 20% off on a, on a first quarter. And a quarter is about what it takes to really figure out if this is beneficial. It gives you the ability to do the trade right program, um, which is a kind of a, a, a funnel in which you can just, it's included, uh, it's a funnel in which you can go in and just learn all of the basics. Um, learn all the basics. It allows you to participate in group mentoring and so on. If you go through the trade right program or quarterly uh, membership and find that, okay, this isn't for me, you can be free and clear and sure that Convergent isn't a fit for you because we're not providing something that you believe you need. But the idea behind what we're doing in Convergent is to support career professional traders as a part of this process. So you can go to this, this URL, go to ct.pro forward slash summer 20 and read about what's offered. Type in the promo code summer 20 for 20% off on the first quarter for new or returning members. It's valid through the July 31st and it's valid for an entire quarter. I highly recommend you do that, not because you're paying me, but because we provide the structure for you to follow something that's consistent as opposed to jumping from Discord to Discord and following different people and never really settling in on a process. Moving on, so that's the plug part of this. The next question, is about algos and volume. We are told that the majority of volume in futures is the algos. If so, why isn't the volume similar 24 hours per day? Why would volume decline at night? Algos don't sleep. That's by Fred Bear, 8899. Thanks for that question. The reason the volume is much higher during the day, the majority of the volume occurs during the day is because a big portion of what's happening in the market is really predicated on the underlying. And there, there are a couple of things. There's the bigger economies or the biggest, bigger financial centers globally. So the size and maturity of the financial center is a factor because people aren't willing to get up at 3 a.m. I used to, to trade when I used to trade Eurex. Um, people just want to have a normal life. So they choose the session that fits their their uh, time frame and the big financial centers are located in, you know, in New York and London and Frankfurt and so on, Singapore, Japan, uh, Tokyo, and so on. And so you have these ebbs and flows and volume. But the main reason in futures you see a lot of volume during the day session versus 24 hours is because a lot of what uh, is done in the market is based on ARBs, so arbitrage, stat ARBs. So there are many, many, many algos that are simply computing the value of the future based on its underlying. So the underlying for the ES is the SPX. The underlying of the SPX is a market cap weighted uh, index of 502 stocks and so on and so forth. So you can actually crunch that data in real time and figure out where the future should be versus where the futures are. And the reason the futures, the actual contract, might trade away from 
what the SPX is doing is because there's an interchanging relationship between the two. Sometimes the futures will drag all those stocks. Sometimes the movement in the stocks will drag the futures. If Microsoft comes in today and says, you know, that's it, we're, we're closing house, we're done. This is a massive hit to the market, a massive valuation that's being pulled out of the market. Uh, and so the, the whole complex goes down, right? So in that case, one stock is dragging the entire global economy. Um, stat arbs are there to compute this. And every time it goes out of whack, it takes a position in the futures or the cash, and it takes an opposing position in a basket, not necessarily all 500 stocks, because not all 500 stocks contribute that much. Um, it'll take a basket and take a position in those individual stocks to bring it back in line. And it does that all day long. And this is why you have this great flutter at the end of the day with the market on closing balances. It's part of the reason. And all of a sudden there's this huge burst of volume and then it just goes dead. Why? Because the component, the underlying component doesn't really trade at night. There's some issues that trade at night, but there's not enough volume there. And that's why it's like that. Algos don't sleep, people do. And people are the ones monitoring and running these algos. Um, there's a separate discussion on, on that, but that's not being asked here, so we won't cover it. Books, uh, what book would you recommend for learning volume profile, TPO and order flow? So a couple of things I want to mention about books. I spent, there's a bookshelf behind me here with about 50 books on it. Uh, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time looking at books. When I first started trading, I treasure those books because they taught me stuff that I um, could expand on and they, they wasted a lot of my time. Some of them wasted a lot of my time. I would like you to look at a book as a um, kind of a, a hint uh, resource. A book is never going to give you a good trading plan. It's not going to address all the pieces that are needed in order for you to be a good trader. Uh, a book is a place where you can generate your own ideas. And at the end of the day, you can only trade your own idea and interpretation of what you're learning or what you're looking at. The market's infinite, so you have to choose some way of approaching the infinite number of ticks that the market's spewing out all day. So you need to um, box in that information. And this question is showing me that you've boxed down the information that you want to look at, the volume profiling, TPO, and order flow. Good choices, in my opinion, good long-term choices. The book that I would recommend, so just remember, you're never going to get good answers in a book. Just use a book a recommendation as a place, a resource to get a better understanding and then to generate your own ideas and test your own ideas. That's all I'm saying. So with that caveat, I'm going to tell you that the book for TPO or market profile that is great to get you started is uh, Mind Over Markets by Jim Dalton, who's still around and is still lecturing. Uh, for volume profile, there isn't a book uh, but you know, I, I, I was really one of the early people to come out 
and talk about and push volume profiling back in 2008, something like that. Um, it was not mainstream. Very few platforms could actually display a volume profile. And uh, there isn't, I can't say that there's a book that's good to recommend or that I trust. In my opinion, if you search for volume profile, my name, um, my handle, you'll find a lot of uh, videos that can give you a lot of information that's relating to volume profiling that then you can run away, run, run away with. Um, but it's a lot of it's based on what Peter Stadelmeyer created in the 80s, Jim Dalton pre presented in the 90s, uh, and that book kind of encapsulates a lot of it in the first few chapters. Order flow is tricky. Order flow is such a, order flow is kind of like, uh, let's talk about racket grip in tennis. So you'll have, you'll talk to John McEnroe and he'll give you one. You'll talk about to Federer and he'll tell you, no, no, this is the way. You'll talk to about, you'll talk to somebody more recent to today's, the, the, the champion du jour, and they'll say, no, the grip has to be this way. It's highly personal. Order flow, there is no book that'll teach you it. Order flow is taught on the screen. A great resource, and again, I hate to toot our own horn, a great resource for all three of those is, of course, Convergent and the, and the Trade Right program. We lay a lot of this stuff out, and there's a video that was done by one of our members who uses order flow quite a bit um, that goes over some specific order flow setups. Uh, one of our mavens, John, um, John uh, he has several uh, order flow setups that he looks at. But reading order flow is tough to read in a book because it's very personal and it really is predicated on screen time. Okay, so mind over markets is uh, is the recommendation for the book, but only for TPOs. Market profile based question: What are the rules for merging TPOs? Okay, real quick, not going to spend too much time on this. Look at this chart here. So I've merged a lot of TPOs. I've not merged these TPOs because I intended to do that on a trader byte, I just never get to it. The, the rules for me on merging TPOs is overlap, is balance. Whenever the market is balanced, whenever the market's balanced, I merge TPOs. Unfortunately, here there are two days. This is the third and fourth. These are two holidays. They don't really qualify. I'd love to wipe this information out and there's no clean way to do that with an Edge Pro X yet. But these are valid days right here, this whole run up from last week. So you can see this profile's inside of this one. It's imbalanced. Now we merge it so we can see what the overall picture is. And you can see that this profile's balance is within this profile's range. So we merge that. It's that simple. You can see that this profile versus this profile are out of balance. There's no point in merging them because if I do, I'm just moving this profile over here and leaving a gap in between. It's not informing me of anything. And then I can see that this profile here, the balance is outside of the range of the prior day. So there, the market is in an imbalanced condition. So merging profiles just give me a double, it gives me a double distribution profile and it doesn't mean anything to me at the moment. But if tomorrow, we end up falling through and then trading in here and then tomorrow's balance is within this day, then I'll merge that, that, and that together and end up with 
a double distribution profile that has a fat bottom. And I can see where these two profiles have uh, an area of rejection. And that's what that's what these TPO mergers are for. That's what these, um, we call them microcomposites. I, I just call them microcomposites. That's what they're for. It's to tell us where the, I can see the balance within the day here. So 45.10.50 for yesterday, 45.31.50 for today. I can see where it is for the, for the day. But if they start to trade within each other, where is it in the aggregate? That number becomes very, very important. Thanks for that question, ODPHD. Uh, next question is about volume profile. Uh, when you create a composite profile with multiple days in balance, and then they, ha they have an imbalance day that leaves the balance, do you consider the levels of the imbalance day or composite profile to find levels? The composite profile is simply telling me where the overall picture over a big, amount of time uh, and overlap has taken place. So we saw this quite a bit down at 44.19, and that bit was the launching point for the last rally. We had one at 39.20 as well, which was the launching point of the rally before that and the balance from March, April. Um, that's what it's good for. If the market, you know, has a composite and it runs away from that composite. So let's look at our composite here and let's throw a profile. Let's just, for just giggles here, we'll, we'll throw a volume profile in this range here that's in balance. So we have a day that ran up and then since then we've been in balance, right? So let it compute the profile here. And what this is showing me is okay we've been in balance here there are many days involved let's look at what the volume did during that period um so you could see with the, with this the volume with that period the overall point of control the mc point of control for this region is right here at 4177 the market has moved away from the 4100s but if it comes back and it catches the range of this profile. And we could see that it's forming lower highs, lower lows, lower highs, lower lows. We have to ask ourselves, what's the objective? What are these guys trying to do? Where are they headed? Where they're headed most likely is the MC point of control 4177. That becomes the key price. And on a first touch, it becomes key support. So I expect that it'll touch it. A bunch of people who are short from way down here are going to buy to break even, or those who missed the trade are going to lean against all the volume that's already here that's likely to defend to get long, and that becomes um, and that becomes the the reason for it. Okay, so that's how I look at those. Need to accelerate. The hour is up. Psychology, mental game question here lots of variety can you share how to deal with losing streak and guidance on how to adjust risk when in losing streak and recover your plan that's from joe on youtube joe when you're in a losing streak be smart and stop trading just stop um you for some people stopping for a day uh brings them back to level the idea is that nature 
you know, works in streaks. If you ever did sports, you will notice that once you can hit that ball or that jump shot or can throw the ball or catch the ball correct and it just it just happens great like it just it just clicks the next few balls you catch all click all of a sudden they they say you know in basketball you've got a hot hand right every shot you throw up boom it's it's a swish so there's this streak thing to nature to everything in my opinion that's just a philosophy uh from sports and other things if the streak is negative if every time you take a jump shot in the middle of a game it misses and it misses and it misses all that's doing is it's wrecking it's really destroying your confidence you're taking a massive hit to your confidence you the best thing that could happen to you is the coach stands up and does the t symbol to time out and and help things calm down slow the momentum down for the other team to break it up to fizzle it out and to have an opportunity to pull you out and bench you because you're not hot and actually you're you're in the dumps same in trading the more you try to force it and come back to it i gotta do better i gotta push these trades the much 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 worse the outcome is and by the way the exponentially much worse the recovery is so as soon as you find yourself starting to think oh there they go they're gonna get me again oh i'm screwed you know it's not gonna work for me oh they're gonna take my money the first thing you got to do is stop that day if you come back the next day and you're dreading turning on your trading platform take the day off for some people it takes a week to recover from that and then once you come back start start from the basics go back to your plan go back to your approach you know start with fresh eyes and by then the heat the sting the emotional sting should be should have subsided so the first thing you got to do i don't care who you are in terms of um you know breaking a losing streak is to stop it's really important to stop the recovery plan is simply looking at is it the market is it the market is it me or is it something else right and you know is has something has a participant been pushing the market directionally is the market in a, in a regime that isn't mine am i trading breakouts in a balanced market am i trading am i fading the market or trading re mean reversion while the market's pushing you you've got to figure that out that's part of your recovery plan and what you what should happen is you should come back with a little more confidence once things start clicking you've just surpassed another um level when it comes to uh moving forward as a career trader right you this is where an accountability partner is really important there's someone there uh, you need someone there to kind of understand and motivate you another psychology mental game question you're skilled at reframing example shy replaces afraid or fearful game changer other examples that you might be willing to share so what this is about is um neuro-linguistic programming like you, you you as a trader it's really really hard to trade and so you want to set yourself up for uh as much positivity positivity as possible just imagine you're struggling to trade yet you're facing other adverse situations at, at home or whatever you want to eliminate that as much as possible we are our worst 
critics. So the first thing I would say to this, Becky, is be kind to yourself, be forgiving to yourself. It's really important to just be nice to yourself. So if you find yourself saying, oh, you're such a dumbass, I can't believe you did that, blah, 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 and that thought sticks, you're in serious trouble. Uh, so, you know, you, you responded to a trade, a perfectly good trade with, with fear, then you were just not, you were just not really confident in that trade or in your plan. It's not because you are a coward or you're just a loser or these kinds of things. So you got to reframe, um, these, these negative things into something more positive. Okay. Maura, let's uh, rapid fire a couple of sure, these psychology questions. Uh, somebody asked about aim small, miss small, which I guess is related to some of those, um, you know, language heuristics and uh, psychology uh, thoughts. Yeah. So aim small, miss small is a kind of a, a sniper, um, is, a, is a military sniper type of uh, uh, motto. And it's what stands behind it is um, if you if you are trying to fire at a person and the person is your target, this kind of blur, then there's a much higher range of missing. But if you zoom in on a specific small piece of that target, like a button, a zipper, a tag, uh, you know, a grenade that's hanging off their chest or whatever, and you aim for that, it's very, very likely that if you do miss, you'll miss by very little. So how's this related to trading? Keep, when, when to improve your psychology initially, you wanna keep things small, calculated, and so on. We don't wanna go in and start, you know, swinging and adding to losers and going for big, uh, trades and things like that. Our goal is to go for very short bursts, very short profits, um, so that we can gain the the confidence to be able to build on. Uh, you don't want to go in there thinking, well, you know, I'm going to trade like that investment banker uh, with infinite deep pockets uh, because he makes money or she makes money. You want to keep things very specific, very small. Keep your charts simple start there to build your confidence okay we had another good mental game uh mental process type of question they asked at some point in your career did you decide that you've already know what what you need to know and then you just solely focused on the process of your trades and was that a turning point in your trading that is without me knowing it that is the turning point for everybody here if you haven't made the turn your turn comes from picking up a lot of information, then getting rid of all of it, most of it, and keeping what works for you, and then really becoming an expert in that information. How do you become an expert in that information? You create a process for, for detecting it. You, know, you first have to plan it out. You create a very clear process for detecting it, executing it, and logging it. And you repeat, and you repeat, and you repeat. The more specific it is, the better, so that you can make adjustments. But you're not going to make a turn randomly. I know people like will pass a funded trader thing um, by virtue of you know being lucky, 
but they're very, it's very hard to hold on to the live account because their process is faulty. Your job is to find out what you should be doing and then systematize it and keep it very narrow and follow the process. Then, and don't worry about the money, the return. Right? Figure that whatever's in your account is, is money that you're willing to invest on your education. So be protective of it and just follow a process and don't worry about the outcome. Eventually what happens in my opinion and my experience hopefully is the, the outcomes start taking care of themselves. You just start to see positive outcomes. Um, if you follow the process and you refine and you iterate, and you refine. Okay. Anything else Lando before I go on to this? Uh, no, you could go ahead and move on. All right. We got two more questions and we're done. I keep hearing that every edge in the market is fleeting. Is that true? Is that if this is a case, then how can a trader be consistently profitable? Good question. I love this question. Arts charts. Um, edge, edge by definition is the um, edge is uh, is finding something that gives us a probable positive outcome over a negative outcome, right? So my ability to start a business and actually become profitable in a business is I have to have an edge over my competitors. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard for me to sell my service or product. And so it's very important to define what that edge is. But nothing is static in the world. Nothing is static. Nothing. Everything decays. Everything grows. Uh, those are imperatives to life, unfortunately. So what happens is your edge is constantly diminishing by the natural changes in the market or by virtue of others finding and front running your process. The way I trade, the edge is not so specific that it's like an algo where you constantly have to change, refine, curve, fit, potentially, or whatever. It's much more broad. And so how do you how do you turn into a continue to be a consistently profitable trader is that if you refine this process, you'll find that eh, I need to tweak this. I need to change that. Like I move from PNF to Renko charts. I might move from this size stop to that size stop. That happens incrementally slowly and in alignment with the market. If you're here every day watching and trading every day, you'll notice little things. You're constantly getting better. As a human race, we're all getting better at something all the time. We don't just show up, do something for a while, ignore all advanced. You know, I'm an engineer. I come in and I code. And I'm only going to code in Python and that's it. Well, dude, since Python, there's been like 60 other languages and there the cloud has come and all that stuff. It's my job to every day incorporate another thing. Check this out. But what you don't want to do as a trader is constantly jump on the new thing. You want to keep your mind open, but protect and defend your process and bring things in as they make sense. You have to change over time. You have to advance over time and that's why your edge is constantly advancing it can grow it can degrade but it's constantly changing the last question we have here um, about brokerage 
when day trading futures e-minis how does one manage intraday gap down risk if your stops can just be bypassed i.e say for a flash crash or a black swan event i've read about guaranteed stop loss execution but not all brokers provide it this is from t cranium 35308 so for one i'd like to find out about this guaranteed stop loss execution I'd like to investigate because I own a brokerage called EdgeClear and we don't guarantee stop loss execution, nor do any of our clearing firms. We don't guarantee anything. Did you know that if you put a stop in and the market trades through that stop by a certain amount, that stop is converted to a limit order because this was changed after 2010 to prevent things like the flash crash of May 2010. And it's it's a necessary evil, so to speak. So if the market trades through your stop, how can an, a broker guarantee execution? In futures, stops have a limit beyond which they can be traded. So if somebody comes along, if you're in the NASDAQ and somebody fat fingers 10 thousand contracts boom and sweeps 300 points your stop that was two points away from entry is not going to get filled and it's just going to be up there as a limit order to sell uh so i'd like to know who's guaranteeing stop losses because i'd like to investigate how they're doing that uh it's just you know you just have to be conscious this doesn't mean you shouldn't st use stops but i question a broker that's saying they guarantee a stop loss execution because not even the exchange guarantees that. And it's by virtue of the fact that this is a risk that nobody can do anything about for the betterment or the protection of the market. Is that it, Landell, or do we have anything else? I think that's all we're gonna have time to cover today. Uh, we might do another one of these in the future if you guys continue to submit questions. So, you know, as always, leave us a comment. Um, you know, we appreciate everybody, your kind words in the chat. And keep in mind that we are running a 20% off summer promo. So definitely take advantage of that if you're interested in joining the community. And um, with that, I think we've covered what we can today. It's a lot. An hour and 15 minutes. Uh, I want to thank, I want to personally thank everyone who submitted a question. You took the time to humor us and give us an opportunity to connect with you. Hopefully we gave you something you can work with. And I want to thank everybody else that is here live and is watching this video. I want to remind you again, subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and I'll catch you tomorrow morning in our Trader Byte. Let your friends know about Convergent, the Trader Byte, all that good stuff. Our goal is to get as many traders to trade as professionally as possible, whether you're in a funded trader program or whatever. We want you to trade as professionally as possible, uh, and we're here to help you do that. Thanks, Landau, for moderating, and cheers, everyone. Hopefully you gained something today. Take care.